I don't know if you guys uh, are aware of the kind of phenomenon happening in publishing right now. Uh, there's certain publishing houses that are uh, posthumously editing and changing the works of, of authors. Um, I'm going to read you a list of authors that at least some authors that publishes are changing their books right now. Dr. Seuss, we all know him. Roald Dahl, Ian Fleming, he wrote the James Bond books. Mark Twain, Agatha Christie, there's more. But this list of, of people at least should be a little familiar to you and you'd be asking, why are they changing their books? Uh, the answer is because it's an effort to remove anything that's offensive or that would hurt anybody's feelings for any reason at any time. Uh, that's what they're doing. And the church, at large has actually adopted this principle. We can't be offensive. Therefore, a lot of churches and, and the church at large has, has made the greatest virtue tolerance. We're gonna to tolerate anything and everything so as to not hurt people's feelings, so as to not be offensive to the world. And, and that's actually the exact kind of church we, we see in Thyatira here. We see a church, and we'll see later that, that Jesus commends them for all their good works. They're loving, they're kind, they're compassionate. They obey Jesus. But what they don't have is, is hate for what Jesus hates. And obviously, I'm, I'm kind of answering the question, but the question is this, what kind of church does Jesus want? What kind of church does Jesus want? And, and we are gonna see the answer to that in, in, two, in two parts today. The first one is that Jesus wants a church that exercises his intolerance, and secondly, Jesus wants a church that receives his inheritance. Jesus wants a church that exercises his intolerance, and Jesus wants a church that receives his inheritance. So look with me at verses 18 through 23. And to the church, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira write the words of the Son of God, who is eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. That's the first thing we see here, that Jesus wants a church that exercises his intolerance. And before we really dig into to what it means for us to be an intolerant church, the elephant in the room is that it's uncomfortable to look the intolerance of Christ in the face. It's, it's uncomfortable for a lot of us, it's uncomfortable for our culture, it's uncomfortable for a lot of reasons. I want to, to compel you to see Jesus' intolerance as, as good and holy and gracious. We want to see this as something that's actually good and we want to follow in his steps. So first we see his intolerance. I mean, well, he, he says that he's going to throw Jezebel onto a sickbed and her followers into great tribulation and kill her children. These are really uncomfortable truths to look in the face. But what exactly is Jesus really intolerant of? What is he being intolerant of here? Well, Jezebel is a, a false teacher in this church in Thyatira. She's coming in and luring the followers and uh, Christians, luring the followers of Jesus away from the truth of the gospel. And she's teaching worldly ideals as 
gospel truth. She's also, secondly, encouraging immorality, rampant immorality, sexual immorality, that she's telling them you don't have to repent of this. And as Jesus says several times in this passage, they remained unrepentant of these things, Jezebel and her followers. But why is Jesus intolerant of these things? It's because the church is his bride. He loves the church. He wants an uncorrupted, unstained bride. He is jealous for his people. He loves you guys. You, St. Andrew's Church, are a manifestation of his church, and he will not tolerate false teachers coming in here to lead us astray. He won't do it. And that's what we need to see is, is that the intolerance of Christ is good news for his people because, his, because of his intolerance, he bore your sin. He was so intolerant of your sin that he died for it. That's the first good news we see of Jesus' intolerance. He doesn't leave us in our sin because intolerance of sin has one result from Jesus and it's the pouring out of his wrath. Well, on Jezebel and her followers, it falls on them. What happens to those of us who have faith in Jesus Christ? Well, his wrath of his intolerance fell on himself, on our behalf. This is such good news for us. We need to see that, that the intolerance of Christ is the foundation of our salvation. Secondly, the wrath of, of, of God is an important theme throughout the Psalms. You see people crying out in trouble, calling for God to have vengeance on his enemies and, and uh, his people's enemies. And it's actually a good thing to call for. For those in the world who have experienced true suffering and heartache and, and, and truly been sinned against in ways that we can't really imagine here, it's actually good news to them to know that Jesus Christ will vindicate them and avenge them. That's good news. And so with that, this whole passage is actually couched in the goodness of Christ's intolerance. And that hopefully will give us some framework to understanding why he calls us as a church and Thyatira to be an intolerant church. Because this passage says, behold your intolerant savior. And that's good news. Because he couldn't be your savior if he wasn't intolerant of your sin because he wouldn't have died for it. This is great great news. And, and as we look to Thyatira, he introduces himself as the son of God. Obviously, the one who has all authority, the one who, who belongs to the divine family, who rules and made the world. And then we, he, he says that he has eyes like a flame of fire and, and feet like burnished bronze. The eyes obviously look forward to verse 23 when it says, I was, uh, all, her, all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. The eyes of fire who sees all, pierces all, penetrates to the deepest parts of us. And then the feet go to the second part. The feet of burnished bronze are, are feet of judgment. It says, I will, uh, he says, I will give to each of you according to your works. That's what we see. And then he immediately goes in and, and commends Thyatira for what, is commendable in their midst. If we were to go into Thyatira, we, we would be welcomed. We would, we would think it's probably a very healthy church. They are most likely active in their community. They are welcoming, they're healthy. They have really great home groups. All these things are going on in their midst. But they're actually kind of the exact opposite of the church of Ephesus that Craig preached a few weeks ago. He said, Ephesus had the hate of Christ, but they actually loved, they, they lacked the love of God. But here, this church has the love of God, but they lack the hate of God. They lack his intolerance, because that's what Christ goes on to say. Is he said, but I have this one charge against you. 
you tolerate that woman, Jezebel. And like we said before, what Jesus is calling them to not tolerate is a false teacher and rampant immorality, unrepentant. I don't think we are the same as the church of Thyatira. I don't think St. Andrews has a Jezebel, and I don't think we have uh, a bunch of people saying it's okay to do a bunch of immoral things. But this passage does have some warnings for us. How do we become a church that when we are tempted to be like Thyatira, we don't do it? How do we actually become a church that is intolerant of the things that Christ wants us to be intolerant of? I I found in going through this passage over the last several weeks, I came across an article by a pastor who he's been pastoring for 50 years and he lists all these theological uh, uh, problems and uh, controversies that he's dealt with over the last 50 years in ministry. And it's almost, he said, decade by decade, something new is coming into the church from the world, trying to tempt Christians away from the gospel. He mentions the first in the 70s, he started in the 70s and moves on from there in the 70s. There are people coming into the church trying to cast doubt on the Bible. Then there is just the general problem of humanism, then gender issues, and then open theism, then justification issues. And then he ends now with, of course, all the crazy things happening in the 2020s, which we haven't even seen the end of. Thankfully, St. Andrews hasn't given into these temptations to allow teachers into our midst to preach those things like it's gospel. What happens in 2030? What's gonna happen in 10, 15, 20 years? There's gonna be something new that comes along that tempts us. How do we become a church that doesn't fall into that temptation? I have three, three helps for us on that journey. And the first one is to not get comfortable. Because one of the genius things that Jesus does here, he calls that woman Jezebel. I don't think Jezebel is her actual name, and many commentators don't. I think what Jesus is doing, the Old Testament, there's a Queen Jezebel of Israel who brings in idol worship, and she says, worship this false god. Look at all these false uh, prophets. They're awesome. Listen to what they're saying instead of following Yahweh. And what Jesus is doing to the Thyatirans, because every Jew would know this story. Every Jew is well acquainted with their history of idolatry over and over again. And when Jesus says, hey, you have a a Jezebel in your midst, Thyatira. He's saying, what you're doing, what you're allowing in your midst is as evil as that thing then. He's ripping them out of their own context in Thyatira and thrusting them into Israel and saying, that's the same thing. Right, they had gotten comfortable and desensitized with where they were and Jesus doesn't allow that to happen. So what we can learn from that is for us to not get comfortable where we are, always being vigilant to understand what temptations are coming up that that we're going to be tempted to to believe and to fall into and to practice. The second is to know the truth. Hide the truth of God's word in your heart. This is the most important aspect of this whole thing. Know God, know Christ, know the faith so well that you know a counterfeit when it comes along. And thirdly, fear God more than man. You know, Jesus says in the gospels, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who destroys both soul and body and hell. We need to cultivate a fear of God that far exceeds any fear of man because what happens in, in churches is, is we look at the world. Let's say in the church, we excommunicate someone for like a Jezebel in 10 years from now. The elders excommunicate them and the, the world catches wind and then we're in newspaper articles and we're on the internet. And we're being blasted on Twitter, which now is a new name, I think. But we're... we're um, blasted on the internet 
And because the elders of this church made a decision, you as the congregants are now in the crosshairs of trying to be faithful to Christ. Are we going to be ready for that? Are you going to be ready to be called a bigot, to be called intolerant, which is the whole point of this passage? Are you ready to be hated like Christ is hated? We need to cultivate that now so when it does happen, and it will happen, Jesus promises it will, are we going to be ready for that? And then a a final word I do want to say on this is that Jesus here is calling us to be intolerant of, of false teaching and worldliness and immoral behavior in the church. He says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Jesus is, is calling us to be intolerant of worldliness in the church. So when we go out in the world, pagans are going to act like pagans. We, we, we understand that. But when pagans try to get us to act like pagans, we have to say a firm no. When wolves come in here and try to get us to live and believe and act like the world, we have to be ready to say no. And that's what we see as the first answer to the question of what kind of church does Jesus want. He wants a church that exercises his intolerance. So we need to learn to love Christ's intolerance. Actually see it as a good thing. If it feels uncomfortable to you now, look it in the face and learn to love it. And then learn to be intolerant as he is intolerant. So we move on to the second characteristic that Jesus wants to see in a church. Look at verses 24 through 29. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations." And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the second thing that Jesus wants his church to be. He, He wants a church that receives his inheritance. He wants a church that receives his inheritance. And the passage says the church only receives inheritance if they do one thing, if they conquer. Well, what does it mean to conquer? Anytime we see a command or in scripture something we ought to do or something we ought to be like, like a conqueror, we first must realize there's already someone who's done these things perfectly better than us, Jesus Christ. So when it says you will receive this inheritance if you conquer, well, we first have to understand we can only conquer by looking to the true conqueror, Jesus Christ. And so when we have faith in him, his conquering is actually counted as our conquering. The first step in being a conqueror and receiving the inheritance of Christ, the most important aspect is have faith in Jesus Christ as your savior who loves you. And his conquering is actually counted as your own. But this doesn't allow us to just sit back and say, I'm good. Jesus conquered for me. I'm going to just waste my life away watching YouTube videos, which is my greatest temptation, I think. Uh, but what do we do? When, when I know that Jesus Christ is my conqueror, how do I then act? You know, Jesus Christ calls us here to strive and to toil to be a conqueror. And, and what that means for us 
in the context of this passage is, is we need to be intolerant. Of course, we need to be intolerant of sin in the church, as we've already seen, but there's a second aspect to this, which is we need to be intolerant of sin in our own hearts. We need to be intolerant of sin in our own lives. Imagine if Jezebel's followers were intolerant of their own sin, she wouldn't have any followers. Imagine that. The way to keep an uncorrupted church, the best way, easiest way for each of you individually is to keep your own heart free from sin. Be intolerant of your own sin. And, and the way to do this is to repent. Jesus gave Jezebel and her followers so much time to repent. He was patient and long-suffering. So if you were alive today, which all of you are, there's time to repent. You have time to turn to Jesus Christ. If you have faith in him and he's your conqueror, well, then you know that you can come to him and he will forgive you. If you aren't in Christ as you conquer, turn to him for faith in, the first, in faith for the first time. Believe in him. There's time to repent because you're here. Repent. But then sometimes I think calling someone to repent isn't that helpful. It's like, okay, repent. What, okay. What do I, okay, I've repented. Now what? I, I think one of the most helpful things, one of the best helps that we can offer you as a church is to encourage you to confess your sins to one another. We want to be a church that is open, that is uh, so full of the grace of Christ that when we confess our sins to each other, we're, we receive each other with compassion and grace. And, and in fact, when you confess your sins to someone else, it's evidence that the most recent activity of God in your life is, is an activity of grace because you're confessing. This is the grace of God, which means you don't have to be ashamed. God is leading you into repentance, into grace. This is not a repentance into, into shame or guilt because Christ has taken care of that. So don't be ashamed to confess and repent. But then that actually leads us to the main question of this is what is the reward? We're conquerors. What is the reward? First, we see it's the authority to rule. In Psalm 2, the same language is used, and God the Father is actually giving the authority to rule to Jesus Christ the Son. And here, Jesus Christ gives that authority to us. And he even says as much in this passage. As I myself have received authority from my Father, that's the authority I give to you. And this is great news. We're going to rule with the, with the most authoritative God. He, he rules, he reigns, he made everything. He's actually giving that authority to us. But there's even something uh, better for us in this passage that we receive. It's the morning star. And later in Revelation, the morning star is revealed as Jesus Christ himself. We receive Jesus Christ himself face to face. Now we have Christ through faith. Then we will have Christ face to face. We will have Christ by sight. We will know him personally. We will see the, the, the glory of our Savior face to face. So the, intolerant, the, the inheritance of intolerance is Jesus. That's what we want to see. And that should give us immense hope. So hope motivates our intolerance. That's, that's part of what these, in all of these letters to the churches, the, the, to, those, to, to the one who conquers, and then there's some reward promised. This should inspire hope in us, and the hope should inspire um, continued obedience to whatever the passage is calling us to do. And here it's intolerance. Because intolerance isn't easy. You know, in faith, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, we're counted as conquering forever, perfectly. 
But the act, the striving, the toiling of conquering, of learning to be intolerant of our own sin and sin in the church as it comes in, that's a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year endeavor, and that's hard, and that's difficult. What happens when we get tired? What happens in 10 years from now when I am a little too timid to call a false teacher in, in St. Andrews, to call out a false teacher here? What happens when I start to feel that way? Well, I need to remember this promise, that the one who conquers will receive Christ himself. There is a professor several years ago who did this experiment with rats. He put them in water and see how long they could swim. Inevitably, uh, and pretty consistently, every one of them got exhausted around 15 minutes, and, and that's when he would have to rescue them. And his, his uh, experiment worked like this. I, he's going to let him swim to exhaustion to 15 minutes. He pulled him out, let him rest for maybe a minute, not long, on dry ground, let them run around, and then he would put them back in to see how much longer they could swim. Remember, they swam to exhaustion, 15 minutes, right up to the point of dying. How much longer do you think these rats swam? Not, not five more minutes, not 10 more minutes, not 20 more minutes. They swam for 60 more hours. Straight. And this, I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's actually kind of unfathomable when I heard it. That's 240 times longer than what they did originally. And the hypothesis is that because they knew that at some point someone would grab them out of the water and put them on dry ground, that they actually they knew where they were going. And so they were going to endure until they got pulled out because they had already been pulled out once so it gave them hope that it would happen again. That's the, that's the running hypothesis on this. And that's what I think these promises do to us. When we're about to drown, the promises of God, our vision for the future of glory, of, of seeing Christ face to face in heaven where there's nothing actually to be intolerant of, that spurs us on. That should give us 60 more hours of endurance in this life. And that's what we see in the second answer to the question of what kind of church does Jesus want? He wants a church that receives his inheritance. This means that the church conquers, specifically through faith in Christ and his conquering and in his intolerance. And we look forward with an act of hope to the day that Christ is fully ours. So commit to this hard life of conquering. It's joyful and it's, it's wonderful, but it's hard. So remember these promises of Christ and commit to this life of conquering. Be full of hope. When we're in, in, in glory, where everything is imperishable and defiled and unfading. And we have Christ himself. And this is where we wrap back around to that example of, of book publishers burning books and things like that in the world. Because I actually think they understand the, the idea of intolerance better than we do a lot of times. Because they really aren't that tolerant. You know, burning, burning books, uh, or not burning books, but tampering with the literature, uh, all this is part of cancel culture, right? Cancel culture is this entire culture of intolerance. And what the world realizes that I think maybe we need to learn and to have inspired in us is that you can't have a religion based on tolerance. The world knows that. And so it is with Christ. 
He is an intolerant God. So let us be strengthened to imitate his intolerance, practicing now what we will inevitably have to live out later. Receive the inheritance of Christ. Be found in him who's the true conqueror. Knowing that his intolerance is good for you, it's good for the church. Knowing that your intolerance and imitating him is good for you and is good for the church. And knowing that if you do that faithfully, through Christ, you receive him. So be strengthened to do it day in, day out, week in, week out, forever, until you die. Pray with me. Holy Father, you are good and gracious. Thank you of your intolerance towards our sin, that you hated it so much that, that, that you sent Christ to die for it on our behalf. Thank you for bringing us into your fold to where we have a hope where one day our inheritance is perfection where there's nothing to be intolerant of and ultimately receiving Christ himself. Help us to be encouraged and spurred on in this life uh, to this life of, of faithful conquering and intolerance. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.